Welcome to the infamous podcast, Bitch, I'm Not Well. I'm Kelly. And I'm Brandy. And we're invested on taking you down to crazy town, where we talk about crazy bitches who are truly unwell. Today, I'm going to tell you a story about Diane Downs. Have you heard about her? I don't think so. She is... Uh, a stripper? No. Love of God, no. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. I'm going to go crawl One day, one day, we will, I promise. Okay. Diane Downs was an American woman who killed one of her kids. What? And shot her other two. And said that a shaggy-haired man attempted to carjack her on a deserted road in Springfield, Oregon on May 19th, 1983. What a psycho bitch. Yes. It was thought, however, that Diane was so obsessed with a man who did not want children. This was her answer to solving that problem. That's really messed up. It is messed up to the up. And what's bad is there's a lot of stories that are like that, that women try to kill their kids because the guy they want doesn't want kids. True. So Elizabeth Diane Fredrickson. It's a mouthful. Yeah. Tell me about it. Was born August 7th, 1955 in Phoenix, Arizona to Wesley and Willadine Fredrickson. I love that name, Willadine. I do too. Wesley and Willadine were married in April of 1954. Wesley was a postman and eventually promoted to postmaster. Ooh. Mm -hmm. Diane grew up in a typical home of the 1950s and 60s. Diane excelled at school, but was not popular, mostly due to the way that she dressed. Her parents were strict conservatives and forbade her to wear fashionable clothes or makeup. So she was kind of bullied in school, I think. Mm. Kids are mean. Yeah. Later, she spoke negatively of her father, criticizing his lecturing, stating he was a harsh disciplinarian and that he held power over her mother. She said that he spent way too much time with her mom and her mother spent very little time with her. If that's true, that's really sad. So the parents spent all their time together but didn't spend any time with Diane? Sounds like it, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Poor thing. I mean, it sounds like she was... Kind of neglected? Very alone in her life, yeah. She's testified that her father sexually abused her when she was a child, although later she recanted the allegations and both of her parents denied that any such incident took place. Well, of course they're going to deny it. They are going to deny it, but she... But is she a liar, so... Yeah. But then she... She recanted it, so she took it back. Okay. She's very much an attention seeker, so... After reaching the age of 14, she developed a tendency to talk compulsively. She became rebellious, dropping Elizabeth from her name, and started dressing provocatively. And I guess back then, if you dropped your first name, ooh, heaven forbid. I'm no longer Kelly Ray. I'm just Ray. I'm just Ray now. Kelly, you are very rebellious. (laughs) Calm down. I know. I might need to be locked up. (laughs) She graduated from Moon Valley High School in Phoenix, where she met her high school sweetheart, 16-year-old Steve Downs, when she was 15. Okay, so they were close in age. Yes, just a year apart. In fact, he was her neighbor. He lived across the street. Aw. Yeah. But her mom and daddy did not like this, and they disapproved of the relationship, which probably made it all the more enticing for her. Yeah. Yeah. You always want what your parents say you shouldn't have. Right. (laughs) And then you look back on it, and you're like, why didn't I listen? Yeah, they did know better. Yeah. After high school, Steve enlisted in the Navy in June 1972. 
After Diane graduated, she enrolled at the Pacific Coast Baptist Bible College in Orange, California. Diane and Steve continued a long-distance relationship. She was, however, expelled after one year for promiscuous behavior and returned to her parents' home in Arizona. I'll bet her sweetheart found Mm -hmm. that great. That's not what I want to hear. I'm sure she probably didn't give him all the skinny. I wonder if she wrote him a Dear John letter. Dear Steve, (laughs) I've been booted out. (laughs) Because other people were very promiscuous, not me. Not me. It was everybody else's fault, and that's kind of how she is. But Mm. we'll get to that later. Even though Diane was 18, her parents were still very controlling over her, and she wanted to break free. So when Steve returned from the Navy in November of 1973, Diane grabbed her opportunity to break free from her parents and married Steve. From the start, their marriage was failing. Oh, gosh. At her trial, a little snippet into the future here, she stated, I did not marry Steve for love. I married Steve to get out of the family. Hmm. So there's that. Boy, that's maturity at its peak. The couple were always fighting over financial matters and accusing each other of being unfaithful. I can't imagine why. I don't understand, Steve. What's your problem? Diane seems like such a saint. How do you get kicked out of college? To Baptist college. She was not a good little girl. I know, but you got to be really bad, like before somebody even notices. Yeah. Whatever. They'd have nothing better to do than watch Diane and see what she's doing. (laughs) No, Diane, everyone's talking about what you're doing. It's that bad. Mm Mm-hmm. Diane craved love and attention and did not find that in her marriage to Steve. She became pregnant with their first child intentionally so she could have someone to love her. Oh, that's really sad. And that's sad. All right, I'm going to play this little clip for you here. I got pregnant when I wasn't allowed to, and I'm not saying he forbade me to get pregnant, but I, I didn't consult him. I wanted to have children, and so I got pregnant without asking permission. So she did not regret that decision. The pregnancy gave her the love and attention she desired. The (laughs) marriage continued to be rocky, so she left Steve and went back to her parents for a short time. They reconciled, and she returned to Steve. Christy Ann was born in October 1974. After Christy was born, Diane missed the attention she got while she was pregnant, so she stopped taking her birth control again without informing her husband again, and she conceived Cheryl Lynn. Cheryl Lynn was born in January 1976. As much as Diane enjoyed being pregnant, she did not enjoy motherhood and all that came with it. According to her husband, Steve, she often neglected them. See, I'm the exact opposite of her. My pregnancies were miserable. But I love my babies. Of course you love your babies. they some sweet little boys. Yeah. So this is what Steve had to say about her being a mama. According to Steve Downs, Diane would frequently neglect her children. Well, once she had the kids, you know, it's another story, you know. Well, uh, she treated them like crap, you know, and she didn't treat them, she really didn't treat them very good. So, this kind of gives you an outlook of how Diane is as a mother. Like, she just really enjoyed the attention and everything that the pregnancies gave her. Doesn't sound like she cared very much for the kids after the fact. I wonder when she was <laughs> pregnant. Everybody paid more attention to her and, mm-hmm. like, tatad her. And yes. It's all about her. And then once the baby comes, it's all about the baby. There's no more mama. Yeah, you don't exist ever again. Mm-mm, ever honestly. again. <laughs> yep. And you don't really care if you do or not. Yeah. So I think that was the issue. Huh. They continued to fight, and Diane would often leave with the kids, 
know why she took him. I don't know. I mean, if she didn't really care for him that much, why didn't she just skirt off by herself? Did she take them so, like, Steve couldn't have them, like, try to hurt him more, or... Probably. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, use them as a weapon against him. Like, I don't want them, but you're not going to have them, so... Yeah, that might be it. Due to their constant fighting and his mistrust with Diane continuing her birth control since she got pregnant twice without them discussing it as a married couple, hmm. Steve decided to get a vasectomy. Did he tell her? Yeah, Oh, he okay. Did. Oh, yeah. That'd be funny if he didn't tell her. <laughs> it would, wouldn't it? Yeah. It would be. That'd be payback, though. That's revenge. So despite this, Diane became pregnant a third time in 1978. For Steve? Well, well, <laughs> we don't know. In a oh. later interview with Ann Yeager in 1984, Diane stated that Steve's vasectomy obviously didn't work. She knew that she hadn't messed around with anybody, and Steve never went back to the doctor for follow-up testing after the 10-week period from the procedure. Steve didn't believe that the baby was for him. Diane insisted that he go back to the doctor. They tested, and she stated that the doctor said that he was still fertile and did the procedure again. I bet Steve enjoyed having his nuts snipped twice. <laughs> Not. <laughs> I feel like, is the second round free? Since the first round didn't work and I paid for it. I don't it, really know. Is this like a free follow-up? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's part of your procedure. You're supposed to go. You are supposed to go and get checked to see if you're still fertile so after like, the procedure. So they said, she says that he was told that he was still fertile. Does um, Steve ever comment on this? Not that I could find. No. He probably doesn't want to be in the spotlight or be associated <laughs> with her. No. So, despite all that, right, Diane decided to terminate the pregnancy, stating that she was 20 years old with two kids, Cheryl was colicky, and Steve was a bastard. She was only 20 years old? At that time, yeah. Oh, my she got gosh. Married, they got married at 18, and it was like, bam, bam, bam. Later, she went to, or she passed by an anti-abortion booth at a local fair and saw pictures, and she regretted her decision. She stated in her interview that I felt the need to do something to make amends for what I had done wrong. When I had the abortion, I was made to believe that a six-week-old fetus is nothing more than mucus. After seeing the pictures of a six-week-old baby, it had arms, fingers, toes, eyes, a head. That was a human being, and I killed it. I didn't kill it myself, but I hired a doctor to do it. So in 1978, Steve and Diane moved, is it Mesa, Arizona? Mesa. I think it's Mesa. Mesa, Arizona, where they both started working at a mobile home manufacturing company. Diane started having multiple affairs with coworkers, and she has a very weird uh, concept of men. And I'm going to let you listen to her little concept here. Oh, God. She's strange. I don't know if I'm ready for this. Yeah, you ready. (laughs) is ready. All right. Let's... She's not a bad looking lady. No, she's beautiful. She's very she's pretty. Actually, she, look, she reminds me of Lady Di. <gasps> she does. Yeah. So here's her outtake on men. How did your childhood affect you? Everything that happens to you as a child contributes to how you turn out as an adult. Um, to be honest, it made me a better person because I know all the mistakes. I know not what not to do to my kids. I know what to avoid. Uh, one thing is to not be married. And that may seem very harsh, but I honestly don't believe that children need fathers. And they're nice to have around sometimes 
when they can do things to help you, but when they are mentally abusive, when they are harsh, and the way my ex-husband was, they're more a deterrent to the children than a help. And unless you can find a good father, there is no need for them. Did your childhood affect your attitude toward men? That has a lot to do with it. That had a lot to do with it for many, many, many years. I hated men with a passion. But uh, yeah, I hated men for a long time. That's why I met Steve. That's why I married Steve, because Steve did not seem to be that way. Um, Steve was always on his best behavior. He does, he does the thing that most people do when they're dating, and that's put their best foot forward. Yeah. They're every, you're nice, they're punctual, they're everything they're supposed to be. Wow. <laughs> I'm surprised my jaw didn't literally hit right. the floor. What do you need men for? Don't get married, don't have a husband. That's so if you, really Well, if bad. you can find a good husband. Yeah. Do you go to, like, can you get that at Walmart? All mm-hmm. seven, eight? Mm-hmm. You go over to 10, you can get a real bad husband. <laughs> Don't get the duck off. Don't get the sure fine. Don't get the sure fine, Brand. It'll <laughs> fail you every time. <laughs> Set your standards higher. Look on the top shelves. Okay. Yeah, kind of like up. alcohol. Reach for your dreams. That's right. Okay. <laughs> Don't look in the gutter, ladies. It's kind of like alcohol. <laughs> okay. Oh, I'd like top shelf husband, please. <laughs> top shelf patron. <laughs> top shelf husband and that patron up there, please. <laughs> All right. Diane states that after the abortion, she was determined more than ever to get pregnant again, to right the wrong she had done by aborting her baby. She then asked Steve to reverse his vasectomy for a year, and he kept telling her no. So she says, <laughs> fine, I'll find a suitable donor. And just like that, she was on the hunt for the perfect specimen to help her accomplish her goal of pregnancy. She seduced one of her co-workers, Mark Sager, and became pregnant. And I'm going to let you hear how she describes how she went on this hunt. And so I asked my husband to have his vasectomy changed, reversed. He refused. I asked him for a year. He kept saying no. I said, fine, I will find a suitable donor. I watched people I worked with. I picked somebody that was attractive, that was healthy, that was not abusive of drugs and alcohol and such, was strong, you know, bone structure, the whole bit, a good specimen. It was really clinical. It was really terrible. And I seduced him. And I know my cycle, and it only took once, and I got pregnant. I went home, and about a week later, I told Steve I was pregnant. And he goes, how do you know? And I says, well, I know my cycle. I know I'm pregnant. And he was really upset. For that whole nine months, he put me through hell every day, every night. It was terrible. Just railed on me constantly, told me to get an abortion, the whole bit. And then after the baby was born, he told me, If you have a girl, baby, I might let you stay around. But if you have a boy, I'm kicking you both out on your butts, and you're going to take those two with you also, because how do I know they're mine? That kind of attitude. Well, I lived with that for nine months. I can't believe Steve was upset that his wife was pregnant by another man. (laughs) What's with this woman? She is delusional. Oh, she is delusional. So, and that's... Is that's this, are these clips that you're playing, has she already been, like, yes, convicted is, or whatever? No, this is... Um, at the time that she gave this interview, the shootings had taken place. That was in uh, 1983. This was a year later while the trial was going on. Okay. So, she's having all these interviews and everything with all these people, so... <laughs> I didn't know if this was, like, a hometown, like... 
the news people walk up and ask you questions. It is a small town. Okay. It is a small town, but this was an interview that she actually gave. Okay. With Ann Yeager. I bet Ann Yeager was speechless. (laughs) Like, Um, well, I, I, I don't know how she held the interview together because some of the stuff that she says in here is just appalling. And her mannerisms, she has zero emotion. She's kind of like a robot. And yeah. She's, uh, she even smiles at some points that are not. You shouldn't be smiling. You should and not be smiling. I really didn't even realize it until you said that, but she kind of has like a blank stare. Like yes. She's yeah. just whatever. Yeah, she does. I noticed so, they don't show Anne very much in this interview because she's probably like. <laughs> yeah, what the beep? <laughs> Probably in shock. Like, She's, can't believe this woman is saying this. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. So, Stephen, Daniel, Danny, and she named him Stephen after Shut Steve, up. right? Stephen, Daniel, Danny. Call him Danny. Oh, okay. Was I thought born. that was his full name. I was say like, they named him Daniel Danny. Daniel Danny coming down. Daniel Danny <laughs> on to town. Okay. Anyway, I'm sorry for that. All right. So, Danny was born in 1979. With a final attempt to save their marriage, despite Danny being a boy, when the which doesn't make any sense to me anyway. And I think that I want to say that I heard in another interview that Steve denied ever saying anything like that. But yes, he was very upset that she went out and <laughs> seduced a coworker and had an affair and yeah. had this baby. But as soon as the doctor handed him the baby, he took immediately to him and accepted him as his own. Well, that's good of him because. That'd be hard to do. Yeah, it would be really hard. It's like your infidelity baby. Right. It's like a, a reminder. Constant reminder. So Diane and Steve still continually fought. And of course, there were allegations of cheating still. Um, there were allegations of physical abuse on both sides. Diane said she felt trapped in the marriage and hoped that divorce would solve their problems. She says she thought about taking her own life at one time, running into the bathroom with her 22 and locking the door. Then she thought about how the kids needed her, but wanted Steve to take her seriously, so she just shot a hole in the floor instead. Oh, okay. She should have shot herself. Yeah, obviously her kids did not need her because if she would have killed herself right there, her kids would probably still be alive. Eventually, they divorced in 1980. I can't believe they lasted for that long. That's true. I don't even... Um, there might have been a lot of going back and forth, but yeah. Mm-mm. According to Steve, Diane treated her children like crap and lacked any maternal instincts. And in an interview with Steve, he stated that Diane forbade everything to her children. If Danny demanded a little attention, she rejected him. But the worst was when one day I caught Cheryl jumping on her bed. I told her that that was not allowed. I made her sit down and think about what she had done. Cheryl remained calm while looking up and asked, is there a gun here? I replied that no, and the reason for this question, to which she told me, I want to kill me. My mom says I'm bad. Oh, my gosh. Right? How old was the little girl? She was probably three. Oh, my God. That breaks my heart. Right? I want to go home and hug my boys. How do you tell a child that? I don't know. but Especially your child. I don't know any young kids like that age that would even think about a gun to kill kill themselves so, no like anyway. that's an adult idea that gets put in their head three-year-olds right. don't think about killing themselves no no 
So when the marriage ended, Diane did not have a stable job. In order to support herself, she tried to become a surrogate mother, but failed two separate psychiatric exams. Oh, no way. Mm-hmm. One of which indicated that she was psychotic. <laughs> Can't imagine. Dun, dun, dun! Breaking story. <laughs> she found this to be amusing and would often brag to friends about it. That is something to brag about. That's psychotic. Yep. In 1981, she finally got a full-time job as a postal carrier in Chandler, Arizona. She would usually send the children to stay with various family members, but the neighbors voiced their concerns about the kids' well-being. They said the children were often hungry and would beg for food. In cold weather, they wouldn't have coats or appropriate shoes. They said if Diane couldn't find a sitter, she would often leave her six-year-old Christy alone in charge of the children. Oh, my gosh. One neighbor said that Cheryl had told her that she was afraid of her mother. That is... Cheryl, that's the same one that had said she wanted to kill herself. Yeah, she wanted to kill herself. Oh, my gosh. Despite failing the psychiatric exams and the obvious negligence of her own children, Diane was finally accepted into a surrogate program. Oh, they must have been desperate. (laughs) Yeah, and gave birth to a baby girl named Jennifer for a couple in Louisville, Kentucky. Is it Louisville or Louisville? I think it's Louisville. I'm going to say Louisville because it's fun. Like the Louisville sluggers. Sluggers. (laughs) So Jennifer was born May 8th, 1982, and Diane had been artificially inseminated with the sperm from the woman's husband nine months prior and signed a contract agreeing to get the couple the baby for $10,000. So it was her egg, but the husband's sperm? Yeah. Oh, gosh. She's still got the crazy gene. Yeah. I hope that skipped a generation. Uh Well, we'll, we will discuss that a little bit later. Okay. It's unknown if she did this due to her continued guilt of the abortion or if she needed the money. I couldn't find that much about, like, how she became pregnant with the surrogate baby. So Diane stated to the Washington Post in an interview about surrogate mothers in February of 1983. She says, People have wondered why I won't regret this, giving up the baby, and that's very easy to answer. When you kill a child... When you have an abortion, you've terminated something. You've murdered somebody. It's cruel. It's horrible. It's terrible. But when you do something out of love, when you carry a child for somebody else and turn that life over to them, you haven't done anything bad, and it's nothing you look back on and regret. It's good. Her giving that baby away was probably the best thing that she could have done for that child. Most definitely. I mean, it wasn't her baby. Yeah, she got paid for it, so she knew she was tur- she knew she was turning over, and really, it kind of goes with what her husband was saying. Like she was great at being pregnant. Oh yeah, think of how much attention she got as being a surrogate. Oh my gosh, you could tell her by that and be like, oh, "You were so brave." Right, and it didn't bother her to hand over the baby after giving birth because she doesn't like kids. Yeah, she, she doesn't the, want babies. The attention wasn't going to be on her anymore. Right. So what am I going to do with this? Mm-hmm. I wonder in the 80s how they went about getting the surrogate pregnant. She was like a social media whore. Oh, I bet. Um, giving interviews left and right. And I want to say that she described becoming pregnant for this surrogacy almost like with a turkey baster. Like the husband was on the other side of the curtain and they handed her the syringe thingy. Yeah. The goo-goo juice. <laughs> with the goo-goo juice <laughs> and inseminated her like right on the spot. Wow. Diane had multiple affairs with her co-workers in Chandler, Arizona. Of course. Most of them married, which (laughs) she liked. Like, she liked 
uh, going after the married man because there was no commitment and all that other stuff. And it was like if she found out that they were married, game on, baby. So she liked the sex and the attention, but didn't want the. She didn't want to invest. She herself doesn't want in attachments it. of any kind. It doesn't sound like that's crazy. Yeah. So she actually did meet and started a love affair with Robert Nick Knickerbocker. We're going to call him Nick here hey, on out. Mr. Knickerbocker, boppity bop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> is that Barney? It is. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Bringing back the old times. Bring it back, Brandy. Yes, yeah, Sarah was well, obsessed that's the, with that this show. This is the era that we're in almost. I mean, Barney was the 90s, but, yeah. you know. Okay. Yeah, right around that time. <laughs> They could have made that song after him. I wonder if they made Borny, the Borny song after, after Mr. Robert Knickerbocker. Probably so. God, what a great name. That is a really cool name. Knickerbocker. This is where she met Nick in July of 1982. Nick would alter the course of her life permanently. Nick was a married man. Mm. Mm-hmm. But they were having marital problems, so Nick was looking for a distraction. Although Diane was just a fling in Nick's eyes, Diane became obsessed with him, and he was the greatest love of her life. Now, I'm imagining that this is true because all the other men really wanted her. I mean, Mm -hmm. she's a beautiful woman, so they all wanted her. And she was just like, meh, you're just a fling. Well, here she has a guy that's just interested in, no, you're just a fling to me. So then the tables were turned, and now she's like, oh, hell no, you ain't getting away from me. You are going to love me like everyone else does. (laughs) Yes. I'll make you. Absolutely. She was after him, like, scary. Anyway, Diane became obsessed with him, and he was her greatest love. And he was married. You said that right. He was married. They were having marital problems, so they were kind of separated, I think. Okay. So Nick was adamant to Diane that he never wanted, nor did he ever want children. But delusional Diane thought that she could change his mind and fantasized about building a life and having a family with him. She was so convinced that they would be together that she got a tattoo of a rose with his name underneath it. Oh, my gosh. Diane claimed that Nick told her he was going to leave his wife and move back to Oregon with her and would always be with her. In actuality, Nick was between his wife and Diane over the nine-month course. Now, I can see Nick possibly telling her this because... I'm sure she didn't come off as cuckoo machoo yeah. initially, you know, and she, if I feel like she probably gave 110%. And she probably hid the crazy real well yeah. to begin with. Yeah. So he probably, he maybe did tell her all this stuff. In February, 1983, their relationship came to a breaking point when Diane started to pressure him to divorce his wife and mentioned that she was willing to kill his wife <gasps> to have him. Shut up. She did. Nick told Diane that he loved his wife more than he loved her, and again, he didn't want to become a stepfather to her children. He came clean to his wife about the affair, and she forgave him and stood by his side, and they reconciled. Mm-mm. Yes, so after this, Diane applied for a work transfer from Chandler, Arizona, to Springfield, Oregon, to be closer to her parents who lived there. But her main objective was to manipulate the situation with Nick, thinking that this would intimidate him to go running to her. She even asked her father, Wes, who was now the postmaster, to find Nick a job in Oregon. Oh, my gosh. She really was delusional. A little bit. Yeah. like her own little fantasy world. So the move happened in April of 1983, and Robert helped Diane with the move. He also recalled 
driving her car that night before she left for Oregon and stated that she had her 22 caliber pistol in the case in her back seat. So, I bet his wife really appreciated that. <laughs> After Diane moved to Springfield, Oregon, Nick gained even more clarity and realized he did not ever want to move to Oregon or be with Diane. Okay, so he didn't decide that he wanted to stay with his wife for sure until after she moved? No, he decided before she moved, but I guess she was still present in his life. You know, they they both worked at the post office, and he would see her all the time. And she may have said, like, I'll kill the bitch, you know, or whatever. I'd kill for you. (laughs) I'd kill for you in a joking manner, maybe he thought. And then later realized, oh, shit, she might have been serious. Like, this bitch don't joke. She was for real. So um, he didn't hate her. So maybe it was still a temptation. But after she moved away and she was no longer there to see or look at or talk to or whatever, then that's when he realized, you know, how much he didn't miss her, maybe. Yeah. So He realized him and his wife were a good thing and... Him and Diane were not so much. Yes. Despite the definitive end of their relationship, Diane's infatuation with Nick continued, and he consumed her thoughts. She wrote letters to Nick almost daily and continued to call him. Remember back then, we didn't have cell phones or, you know, computers to write emails. and. So she's calling his house phone. I mean, we had computers, but... So she was calling his house phone? Oh, yeah. Well, probably at the post office. Okay. She'd probably call him at work. I bet his wife was pissed. But she would write letters to him, and I don't know if she wrote them to the post office. I don't know where she mailed them. Yeah. But they were often returned unopened, and then her calls were refused. So He um, was trying to get away from her. He was trying desperately. And even though she received the return letters and the unanswered calls, uh, she still remained lovestruck, still believing that Nick loved her and wanted her. She kept journals of what seemed to be unmailed love letters to Nick, and she wrote that she had never loved anybody more than she loved Nick. She never loved anybody more than she loved Nick. I want to, like, slap my forehead. You have children. Yeah. You should love your children. You have parents. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This guy doesn't want you. Is that why you love him? Mm -hmm. Because he's hard to get? She expressed her longing for him mentally and physically. In one of her journal entries, she wrote, You know, I don't want a daddy for my kids. You would never be left alone with them. What does that even mean? Yeah. Surprisingly, her desire and obsession with Nick didn't stop her from sleeping with other men, which (laughs) began just seven days after her arrival in Springfield. She really loves him, I can tell. (laughs) She doesn't even know what love is. She just wanted him because she couldn't have him. Yeah, somebody, he wanted somebody more than he wanted her, and that was not right. okay. But I'm sure in her mind it was somebody else's fault that this was happening. No, not, it was his bitch wife that was holding him back. Yeah, definitely wasn't anything to do with Diane being or crazy. Actually, <laughs> it was her kids that was holding him uh, yep. back. On May 19th, 1983, it seemed like a normal day. Little Danny was dropped off at Diane's mom's, and Christy and Cheryl were dropped off at school. Diane got off work around 4 o'clock and picked up the children from her mother's house. They had a fast dinner at home, and Diane decided to go to Heather Pluard's house, a co-worker. Now, Heather had told Diane at work that she was thinking of buying a horse. They had a forum, and Diane found an ad in the newspaper about a horse, and she thought Heather might be interested. Diane didn't have Heather's number as they weren't really close friends. 
Uh, they were just more like acquaintances. So she loaded up the kids and drove over to Heather's house to tell her about these horses. So you're not friends and you don't want to call, but you'll show up at her house. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't think she knew her number. So. They had phone books back then. Oh, they did. Damn, you'd have been a good investigator, Brandy. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> the kids played with one of Heather's horses and Diane and Heather talked about the ad. They left to go home later that night around 10 p.m. Wow, that's late with little kids. Yeah. And Diane thought it would be nice for the kids to sightsee, even though they had fallen asleep in the car. And it's dark outside. Dark 30. How are you going to see anything? (laughs) She decided to take Old Mohawk Road to get to the main highway. There was very little traffic, if no traffic, on this gravel road, and Diane knew it well, being from that area. The song Hungry Like the Wolf by Duran Duran was playing on the cassette tape, as it always did, looping over and over. After she turned on Mohawk, she stated that she spotted a man in the center of the gravel road flagging for help. She said he was white in his late 20s, about 5'9", 150 to 170 pounds, dark hair with a shaggy wave haircut, and a stubble beard. He wore a Levi jacket and off-color T-shirt. That's pretty descriptive for yeah. being on a dark, isolated road with no streetlights, right? Yeah, that. I mean, I can't even tell animals on the side of the road when I'm driving at night, <laughs> let alone what a guy in the middle of the road is wearing. So she stopped and got out of the car. Oh, saying, okay. Yep, that's what you do. Yep, middle when of the night. you have three babies in the car and alone? it's dark, alone, on a gravel road in the Oops. back, and there's a young man waving in the middle of the road. Okay. That seems like the right thing to do. It sure does. Yeah. So she stopped, got out of the car, saying that she turned the car off and took the keys out of the ignition. What? Yep. She said the stranger pulled out a pistol from his jacket and demanded that she give him her car. Let me guess. He had a twenty-two too. He did. How did you know? I don't know. I must be a psychic. Incredible, Brandy. Okay. When Diane refused... He reached past her, in through the driver's window, and opened fire on her kids. But not her? No. She was frozen and immediately reverted to her childhood while this man was just shooting her three kids. Oh, hell no. She said the gun struck her fingers and snapped her to reality. And then she thought, I have to save my kids. Huh. Then she pretended to throw the keys in the woods, and he just ran off. Okay. You had no better story than this. Did you really think people were going to believe this? She said at some point the gun must have shot her in the forearm because she was bleeding from her arm. Oh, and she was trying to protect her Uh, babies. uh She's such a good mother. Her children were hurt, and she could see that. The only thought she had was get them to the hospital as quickly as possible. That makes sense. You want to get your kids as quickly as possible to the hospital. Yeah. Okay. She described her journey to the hospital as disturbing. Really? Cheryl in the front seat had been shot twice. Christy was shot several times and choking on her blood. Oh, my gosh. She went on to describe the smell of the blood. And she describes the smell of the blood still today. She said that Danny was in the back seat shot and moaning. I'll play the clip with the interview with Ann Yeager describing the incident. I really don't like this bitch. (laughs) She was my favorite. Not so much anymore now. The more you tell me, the less I like her. Yeah, me too. Okay, here we go. I have been through that night so many times. I've even been through it with my psychologist. It's very hard. It's very tearful. There are a lot of memories that 
um, I don't know. A lot of people, when something traumatic happens to them, they suppress it immediately. I kept those memories because I knew that I was the only person that was going to be able to tell them what happened when we got to the hospital. And when I got there, the first thing I said was, call the doctor. Second thing was the blood type. Third thing was, call the cops, because they've got to, they've got to find him. And so I had to remember as much as I could remember. When this man shot my daughter, my first reaction was to snap back to my childhood, to the pain that had happened to me back then, my marriage, my entrapment by society. This man was bigger than me. He was stronger than me. He had more power because he had a gun. He was in control, and I was not. And I had, there was nothing I could do. And I stood there, and I looked at Christy reaching, and the blood that just kept gushing out of her mouth. And, and oh my gosh. I, what do you do? You just stand there trapped. And then... No, you don't. And then the gun kept firing and firing and firing. And it, it, it made... It was monotonous. It just kept going. It was like a slow motion picture. And then he swung around towards me. And I... And this is something that I did not recall when I was explaining to the cops because... There, it, was, it wasn't like a movie when I was telling them. I was telling them what happened, the important details. He shot my kids. I pushed him. I ran. And when he swung around, he was pointing when he swung around, it hit the tips of my fingers. The gun hit the tips of my fingers. Mm -hmm. And that snapped me. And I went, wait a minute. I'm not trapped by society. I don't care if he is bigger. If I stand here and I say, yeah, here, take the keys. I mean, there's nothing I can do. You win because you have the gun. My kids are going to die. And I'm not going to let my kids die. And so instead of giving him the keys, I feigned throwing the keys. Okay. <laughs> How can she say that with no emotion? Like, I, your I kids don't were know, shot. But she and does. She's just like talking. Yeah, yeah. And I went to the grocery store and got some milk. He leaned in and shot my children in the That's back exactly seat. That's exactly how she acts. Oh, don't forget, I need to get eggs. And they were bleeding all over the place. Oh, I the really blood. thought my kids were going to die. Right. Like, what? Yeah. How do you have no emotion at Just all? monotonous and robotic, and that's how she is. And and smiles. Like, it's just weird. Yeah, it's really weird. So, just before 11 p.m., it was like 1040-something, that she whipped into the, the emergency entrance of McKenzie Willamette Hospital in Springfield, Oregon. With her horn blaring, yelling that somebody just shot her kids, Cheryl, age seven, was dead on the floorboard in the front passenger seat. Danny, age three, and Christy, age eight, were severely injured and bleeding in the back seat. Diane herself had been shot in the left forearm. The hospital workers became suspicious because they decided that Diane's manner was way too calm for a person who had just experienced such a traumatic event. She also made a number of statements that both police and hospital workers considered highly inappropriate. She also demanded a phone to get in touch with her boyfriend, Nick, to tell him about the kids. The kids that he didn't want. Yeah. Hey, we can be together now. Yeah, almost like that. All right, and this is where I'm going to cut it off and leave it for part two. Are you serious? I am serious. We still oh, got a ways gosh. to go for this crazy bitch hole. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> now I have something to look forward to. Yes. So next Friday, part two. Yeah. Make part sure y'all come back. I'll we'll be, be here. here. All right. <laughs>
We appreciate you listening to our podcast. If you liked it, please give us a good rating. You can listen on your favorite podcast platform with new releases every Friday. Just search for Bitch I'm Not Well. Send us suggestions for an episode at well at gmail.com because Gmail won't let us use bitch. Or visit our website at www.bitchimnotwell.com for more podcasts and our fabulous merchandise. We'll see you next week on another podcast about another crazy bitch who is truly unwell.